Good morning. It is good to be with you again this Sunday morning. And welcome to the uh, live service broadcasting uh, at First Baptist Church, Alamo. Excited again to have our praise team with us uh, today as they're going to be leading us in worship. And also, we've got a special uh, music presentation today to, to touch our hearts from Miss Addie Davidson. So we're really excited about Addie getting to sing for us today as well. A couple of announcements to uh, knock out of the way. Uh, Y'all have done a really good job. You've been really great at uh, keeping up the giving. Uh, so I would encourage you to continue to do that. You can uh, either do it online uh, at alamofirstbaptist.com. Go there, hit the e-giving, easy uh, giving platform. You can uh, do it as a guest. You can register, and uh, you can choose uh, where you want your gift to go. Uh, we're also continuing to take up for 
uh, Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering for our North American missions. So I want to encourage you to give to that. You can do that online as well. Or if uh, you prefer, you can send it in, uh, uh, just mail it in, P.O. Box 241, Alamo, Tennessee, 38001, and uh, we'll get it. Or if uh, you want, just drop it by or give us a call. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of that for you. We do have one announcement uh, this week uh, uh, that we need to get out. Deacons, uh, we need to meet on Tuesday. Uh, so we're going to shoot for 6 p.m. Tuesday evening. If you guys can come, we've got a lot to discuss uh, looking uh, at the month coming up and some other things. So you guys come on out. As soon as we kind of get a plan going forward, we're going to put that out on uh, the Internet. It'll be on the website. It'll also be in the newsletter that we're going to be doing for the next month. And we'll put it on Facebook and on a Facebook group page so that you'll kind of know what we're doing. And just uh, our guess right now is we're probably going to still be in the same pattern that we've been in through the month of May. Uh, just listening to what our state uh, and local leaders are kind of asking as far as the size of groups that come together. Uh, it may be uh, June uh, before we can actually get back together. But it does seem to be that things are improving. We're excited about that, and I cannot wait. I know the guys here can't wait, and I know you can't wait to get back together into our regular worship routine. Uh, several that uh, need to be lifted up in prayer this morning, several unspoken, want to uh, lift those up. And if you've got one that's on your heart and mind this morning, we want to lift that up as well. But let's open up with a word of prayer, and we'll continue our worship together. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your love and grace. And Lord, again, uh, we're thankful through the use of uh, technology that we can still uh, come together, uh, even though we're spread out as we are, that we can come together and we can worship as a church family and friends and neighbors, uh, Jesus, that you are our King, that you are our Lord, and you are our Savior. And everything that we do today, we, we, we want to exalt your name, Lord, and we pray that, that we can do that. We, Lord, we, we lift up those that are uh, thought of today, those that are, are sick, those that have been in the hospital, those that are shut in. We lift up our health care workers, and Lord, we lift up our national, state, and local leaders uh, as they continue to lead us through this uh, trying time of uh, what next to do and how best to serve our community and Lord just uh, I pray for our deacons as we'll meet together on Tuesday night uh, give uh, us uh, discernment wisdom and understanding uh, according to your will uh, that we would be obedient to it Lord we thank you for the offerings that have been sent in those that uh, we've received online those that have come by way of mail or dropped off uh, Lord we pray all of those gifts to your glory to your honor and to the to the kingdom work and lord we pray today as we continue to worship that you draw close to us as we seek to draw close to you and lord we pray for the message uh, lord let your word uh, and your voice and your will just take over all that uh, is presented by way of your word and through your scripture lord we love you we lift up today to you in your mighty name jesus amen
Father God, we come before you again this morning. We thank you for your unfailing love, your unchanging love. Lord, uh, there's no one that's beside you. There's no one above you. We thank you that we can call on the one true God, the living God. That We know you'll hear us. We know you will answer us. And again, Lord, we just want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, your, your love, your mercy, your grace that you've shown upon us, Lord. And we can never say thank you enough. Lord, there's nothing we can do to earn that favor. It is simply by your grace, your death on the cross, your burial, and your resurrection. And we thank you that today you are there before the Father making intercession for us, Lord, on our behalf. We love you today. We ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Addie. I, you know, one of the things I think I hate more than anything else is that we're not able to have a full house here that can uh, give these girls a hand. I know last week with Teal and then uh, this morning with Addie, both of you guys did such a terrific job. Take your Bible this morning and open to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 3. Now, that's, that might be a hard uh, book for you to find. I didn't realize it until I was uh, going through the message this week and working on it that, uh, see, I guess the first Sunday in June will make 19 years here with you. And I've never preached or even did a Wednesday night Bible study uh, out of the uh, book of Leviticus. And so uh, this is a, a new book for, for me to, to preach to you from. And I don't know why that is. It's just the way it has worked out. Uh, it may end up being something that we go back and uh, do a study through. I know that we've done a study in the book of Jeremiah. And of course, Jeremiah and Lamentations are tied together because this is uh, the prophet's uh, laments about uh, the condition of Israel uh, and where they're at, uh, what uh, has happened to them, and his hope in God. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book to, to study. We may do that. I uh, was thinking about another book as I was preparing the message today. There's a book that was written. It's called The God Delusion. It was written by an atheist whose name is Richard Dawkins. I'm going to read you something that uh, he said in his book. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, uh, genocidal, pesticidal, megalomaniac, uh, uh, filicidal, so uh, sadistic, uh, uh, sadomasticus, uh, capricious, mal uh, malevolent bully. That was a mouthful of all that garbage. But anyway, you get, the, you get the, uh, the gist of how he feels about God just in that one little paragraph. As I was reading that and thinking about it, I kept thinking, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I certainly don't want to be that guy on Judgment Day uh, standing before God and having to give an account to uh, that kind of blasphemy, that kind of uh, thought against a, a holy and loving God. I want to ask you a question, though, this morning. And the reason I read that, how do you see God? How do you view God? And we're going through a real tough time uh, right now. And, and there are many of you, maybe uh, you, you've lost not just one job, but two jobs, or you've been laid off. Uh, money is tight, you know, the mortgage is due, the rent is due, uh, bills to be paid, uh, and, and you wonder, you know, God, do you, do you not see me? Do you not care, God? And, you know, how do you see God? Now, obviously, uh, Dawkins saw God as this merciless monster that does not care and is not real. I was also, this week, as uh, I was doing some study, I was... Uh, uh, surfing along. Actually, I was listening to, to K-Love, and they played a song by Francisca uh, Batticelli, uh, the song. And it, it kind of touched my heart as I was working on the message. And so I went over there, and I just kept listening to it over and over and over again. It was just feeding my spirit. 
But somewhere during that uh, uh, process, I got to looking at the comments that were there on the YouTube page uh, that people had written in or, or written about the song and what it had meant to them. And I kept seeing so many people with broken life stories. They had uh, a life of brokenness and, and broken hopes. And on that particular page, I kept reading almost one right after another of an individual that had dealt with the thoughts and, 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 and the thinking of suicide because life had gotten so, uh, so difficult. Anybody there today? Anybody in that place of lament? A place where you're saying, I need help and I need hope. I'm in this deep despair. I want to spend some time thinking with you today, this thought, and the, and the, the songs have all been geared around the steadfast love or the steadfast mercy or the steadfast grace of God. I want to think with you about the steadfast love of God. Listen to what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah, uh, or uh, Lamentations, chapter 3, in verses 22 through 24. And Jeremiah says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will... Jeremiah says, hope in him. Does God care? Does he really, really, really care? Well, Richard Dawkins says he does not. Let me give you somebody else to consider, uh, Charles Spurgeon, and give you what he said about this little passage that we're looking at this morning together and the book of Lamentations as a whole. He said, the book of Lamentations of Jeremiah is a very dolorous or a sorrowful book. When you look at the dragons and the owls and the pelicans and the bitterns of the wilderness, he said, you have a fit picture of Jeremiah's mournful state. He was full of grief. He was like a bottle wanting to vent. His heart was ready to burst with wormwood and with gall. Now, that's our question. Anybody there in that throes of despair, that state of despair? But then listen to what he says. But the whole current changes, he says, when this prophet brings to his remembrance the mercy of God. No sooner does he think of the compassion of the Most High than at once he now takes the heart from the willows and begins to sing as joyously as ever that sweet singer of Israel, David, did. He begins to sing. He begins to rejoice. And instead of harping upon his would-be miseries, he reflects upon our mercies. And then Spurgeon says this, we should exchange our mournful dirges for songs of joy. That's the lesson that Lamentations gives to us. That's the lesson that these verses give to us this morning. I can tell you, and it's true, that God's people are a tired lot. And while that is true, it's also equally true that our God's grace is equal to our trials. 
God does not run out of grace for us. He does not run out of mercy for us. He does not run out of love for us. Things don't get so hard or so tough or so bad or so discouraging that God's like, well, you know, I've helped so many, I'm out of resource. It is quite true that though we go through tribulation and though we go through trial in this world, that even though we go through it, God is there to carry us. God is there to sustain us, to lift us up. You know, it was what, last week or a week or so uh, before when we, we preached on or, or thought about that question, uh, what, on the, what in the world is going on or what, what is the world coming to? And you remember we finished in that uh, sermon and in that study. It isn't what is the world coming to, it's who's the one coming to this world? And it's Jesus Christ. He is our victor. We are overcomers in Him. You see, even though we wade through this water of woe and water of trouble, and, and, and even though it gets up to our breast, even though it, it, we feel like we're going under from time to time, we are overcomers in Christ. Think about what Romans 8, verses 37 through 39 says. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And then he goes on to say, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are overcomers. Let me give you three things that these verses give us today that I think are true about the steadfast love of God, about His mercies, as we will put it. Number one, God's mercies are never ceasing. They are without end. Listen to what he says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You don't see it here in our English language, but there's really a, a great deal that's going on. For example that word that you have there, steadfast love, is really just one word in the Hebrew language. It, it's, it has been said or it has been called perhaps the most beautiful word in all of the Hebrew language. It is the word hesed. Hesed. It is the word that means loving kindness. It is the word in the Old Testament that, that, that refers to God's grace it is the word that is used to speak of God's mercy. It is the word that is used to speak to his faithfulness and his goodness and his devotion. It is used 240 times in the Old Testament, that word hesed. It is especially one of the favorite words of the Psalters. As you read through the book of Psalms, you will read that word if you were reading in Hebrew, uh, hesed, the hesed uh, of the Lord, the steadfast love of God. You'd read that all throughout the Psalms. It is one of the most important words in the vocabulary of Old Testament theology. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of uh, the Old Testament, it, that word hesed that you have in the Hebrew is almost always rendered the word elos the word mercy. You see, his love and his mercy 
are tied together. They are one and the same. Now you say, why is that important? Why is understanding that important? Well, because the usage reflects the New Testament. What we get a shadow of, what we get a, a, a initial presentation of in the Old Testament begins to come full light in the New Testament. It begins to be real. It begins to be measured out. Modern translators uh, often will take this word and they'll uh, put the word grace to it. And so you may have an Old Testament uh, 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 version uh, that uh, uses the word grace instead of the word uh, steadfast or mercy uh, because you see that's, that is what it is. It's all one of the same. It's, it's his steadfast love. It's his mercy. It is his grace poured out at Christ's expense for us. It, it's a beautiful word that speaks not just of God's generosity, but of his loyalty. You see, it conveys that we are the weaker party. It, it's a word that says you and I can't do it all ourselves, and that we need God as our uh, patron or, or as our protector. We need God to be watching over our lives. It's a word that also acknowledges that God is the stronger party in our relationship and that he's committed himself to us. He's committed himself to us by way of his promise. And yet, while he's committed himself, he still retains the freedom to implement his mercy and his steadfast love for us in the way that he so deems as necessary or needed. Hesed implies personal involvement. It, it, it involves a commitment in relationship. It, it doesn't give a view that God is some great uh, other being that's far removed from our daily lives, sitting on a heavenly throne unconcerned with us. No, no, no. He's engaged in our, our despair, our discouragement, in our struggles. It's also true that, uh, that God has chosen to illustrate, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, this beautiful picture of His mercy or His steadfast love, this hesed through an illustration that we all can kind of understand. We, we, we either, uh, you know, uh, have been part of a family or uh, we, we've gotten married and, and we have a family. It's, it's the illustration of a marriage. Marital love has been often compared to this hesed of God. You see, the marriage relationship speaks of, well, the legal matter of this thing. And when God applies this hesed to us, he is saying, I am legally holding myself responsible. I'm legally holding myself uh, to your account and the kind of God that I am towards you. But it also what? By way of marriage transcends that legalness, doesn't it? Um, I've had the privilege of being married, uh-oh, uh 33, going on 34 years coming in July, I think. I'm right on that. 
quick math is not my skill. But anyway, I've been married to the same girl uh, for all those years, and we've had a wonderful, loving relationship together. And while I'm legally tied to her, I'm not tied to her just because we're legally bound. I'm tied to her because I have pledged my, my life to her, those I do's and I will's. And she's committed to me because she's given her heart to me and said those I do's and I will's. You see, it transcends just a legal contract, doesn't it? This word, hesed, this steadfast love of God, there is a legalness to it that God is saying, hold me by my word. But God is saying, on the other hand, you don't even really have to do that because my heart is committed towards you. It is a repeated reference of God. It, again, that most central characteristic of God that's giving. God's loving kindness, it's offered to his people who are in need of redemption, who need help from sin and protection from enemy and cares for the troubles of life. The entire history of God's covenantal relationship can be summarized in that one word, hesed, his steadfast love. As a matter of fact, it can even be summarized in his creation. Listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 136, verses 5 through 9. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love. There's that word, hesed. Endures forever. To him who spreads out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love. Hesed. Endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his hesed. Steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love. Hesed. Endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love. That hesed endures forever. Five times in just those, what, four verses, God says, I am steadfast in my love for you. In how the world was created, how the world continues, how the world revolves and moves and just exists day after day. You can count on my steadfast love every time you see the sunrise or the moon in the sky. God looks upon you and me with infinite love. And that love takes the form of, of pity. And, and it's not a, oh, we're pitiful people, but it's a pity that that sees our weakness, sees our defects. And, and, and God says, I'm going to love you, and, and I'm going to bless you, and, and I'm going to be steadfast with you. It, it's the love that a father has when he looks upon his child and he sees the weakness of that child. And, and knowing that, that, that the attempt in which the child is making, though it may be a feeble one, through his love through his care, through his help, can move to something better. And that that child will, in the by and by, outgrow its weakness and be, and be able to accomplish greater things. That's the, that's the beautiful picture of God's love and his mercy towards us. And this is big. This is what it's saying, that God never gives up on us. That God never at any point stops loving us. 
It never ceases. There's not something that you can do, however horrible it might be, ungodly and unthinkable it might be, where God is going to stop loving you. God loves Robert Dawkins as blasphemous and ugly as his words are against God. God loves him as much as he loves uh, the most beautiful saint who has ever lived, who is alive. His love is steadfast. So God's mercies are never ceasing. Number two, God's mercies are always novel, N-O-V-E-L. And I'm not talking about the novel that you read, but I, I'm talking about that, that use of the word that means they're new. It's a new experience. Listen to what he says. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Can I tell you something? Our God is not some cookie cutter God. The God of the Bible is not some God the world has carved out, not some graven image that the world has come up with. And, and, and when you look at the other faiths of this world, the other gods, and I mean that by little g, that are false and untrue, they're all really similar. They're, they're, they're all really alike in a lot of ways. And the reason is that's, that's man's idea of God. That's man's thought of what God must be like. The God of the Bible is, is unique. The, one of the reasons people struggle to come to the Christian faith, to come to the God of the Bible is because He is so unique. He is so otherworldly. And He is. I mean, the God of the Bible is not a God that we can dream up. He, he is the God who is. Our God is uniquely unique supremely unique he's one of a kind and and what that means for us is that that his kindness and his love and his blessings his hessedness is unique as well each day the lord gives his grace to us uniquely it could come through way of pain it may come by way of pleasure but each day the lord grants to us his steadfast love as he deems best. I'll confess that I don't always like God's love. I don't always like God's steadfast love and hessedness in my life because what God thinks is best sometimes for Chris is not what Chris thinks is best for Chris because there are times where God knows that I need to go through trial, that I need to go through struggle. That, that I need maybe a, a, a heavier load of His grace. But while His grace might be heavy at times, God says that as you go through that load, as you go through that struggle, my grace is also, as Paul said, sufficient to hold you up. Every day, it's new. Isn't that wonderful? You know, that ought to give us great confidence as we face each new sunrise because each new day there's a new day of mercy there's a new day of kindness god has 
already wrapped that up as a present to present to us with each new day. God gives us His steadfast love. It's, today has been designed by God for you. Tomorrow has been specifically designed by God for you. Now let that truth just kind of sit and sink for a moment. His mercies are new every day. Why are they new every morning? Because that's the way it must be. Yesterday's mercies wouldn't work. Yesterday's mercies would be bad and weak for today. Why? Because they're yesterday's. They're not today's. Today's burdens aren't what yesterday's were, and yesterday's are much different than we have today. Each day is new. And God says, I'm not a cookie-cutter God, and you're not some cookie-cutter child of mine. My mercies that I need, your mercies that, that you need of God are different. What may not be a struggle for me might be a mighty struggle for you. What may not be a struggle for you might be a mighty struggle for me. God is, is steadfast in his love, unique every day. You know, I think one of the, the most beautiful pictures of what we're talking about, you read in the Old Testament, for example, in the book of Numbers, where the children of Israel going through the wilderness, these Hebrew children, and you know, they're crying out in hunger for God. And the Bible says that God fed them with what? Manna. How long was that manna good? It was only good for that day. If they tried to sack it up and keep it for the next day, it would what? Spoil and go bad. God said, no, no, no. I'll give you what you need today for today's needs. And when you wake up tomorrow, there will be fresh manna that will feed you in this wilderness experience. You know what that, that says? That God does not want us to... To live in some set it and forget it relationship with him. And that's a big thing today, isn't it? They call it set it and forget it. Set your computer. It'll do what you want it to do. You don't have to go back and redo all these things. Set your phone. Set your watch. You know, just set your life. You know, and that's what, that's what uh, Fortune 500 companies are trying to do today. You know, we'll just take care of you. You know, uh, the other day uh, I asked Alexa, I said, Alexa, what's the temperature? And she spit out not only the temperature but the forecast for that day. And then she asked me, she said, oh, by the way, Chris, do you want to order dog food? And I'm like, well, yeah, I probably do. It's, it's probably time. She knew, according to my order history, that it was time for dog food again. That might be fine and well with technology, but it isn't with a relationship with God, is it? Set it and forget it. No, God wants us to come to Him every day, each day, and acknowledge our weaknesses and our needs and to look to Him and see His strength and His might. Friend, you might want to go long wolf in life, but God says, if you do that, you're cheating yourself and you're robbing him of who he wants to be in your life. God's mercies are never ceasing. God's mercies are always novel. And third, God's mercies are our necessities. It's not just that we need them. They are our necessities. 
he says here in verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That word portion is a, another word that's, that's pretty, pretty important. Not quite the word hesed, but it, it's a word in, in Scripture, if you were to look it up in, in the Hebrew, is where it's written out in other places. You'd find the word plunder in uh, Genesis 14, 24. Uh, you'd find the word portion of food in Leviticus 6, 17. You might see it in Joshua 18, verse 5, as the word tract of land. Uh, you would find it in Psalms, either mentioned as possession or blessing. Uh, and finally, in Psalm 50, you could uh, see the word as pattern or lifestyle. So when, so when Jeremiah says that the Lord is my portion, what's he talking about here? Because there's all kinds of different thoughts here. Now, don't forget the context of the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah's been, he's been through a hard time. As a matter of fact, he is at rock bottom. Uh, the, Babylon, uh, the Babylonian army has come in and, and taken captive uh, the Hebrew children. And, and, and there is this sense of national and even personal hopelessness that has come upon the people. But in this trial and trouble, Jeremiah says, my hope or my faith is fixed upon God. You see, even though Jeremiah and his people could not possess the land that, controlled, that was controlled by Babylon, they still could possess God. God could still be theirs. Even though they couldn't have the land because they had been unfaithful to God and God was judging them with a chastening hand, they could still have God. While they had lost almost everything that, that, that meant so much to them and, and, and to their nation and to their life, they still had hold of the one thing that makes everything worth living. God. I don't know what struggle you're going through this morning. I don't know what despairs you might be in, but dear friend, God is still on the throne. He is still the God that we need. He tells us three things here about the Lord. He says, the Lord is my satisfier. He says that in verse 24, the Lord is my portion. Jeremiah says, in the battle of life, God's my reward. He's my share. He's my portion. You see, when, when the Lord is viewed in this light, he becomes the person, uh, he becomes the, the person in which all of our needs are satisfied. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 103, verse 5. Who satisfy you, satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles? Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The Lord is our satisfier. The Lord is our sustainer, he says there in verse 24. God will never fail those who place their trust in him. Paul says it in Romans 10, verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I like what the theologian J.B. Phillips says as he renders Romans 10, 11. He says, in other words, Everyone who believes in God will not be disappointed. 
I can promise you that if you put your faith in God, you won't be disappointed. I'm not going to say you won't go through hard times. I'm not going to say you won't go through trials. I won't say that you won't find yourself at times in throes of despairs. Jeremiah was very much the man of God. But he also did the work of God pretty much alone. And he struggled and he suffered along with the people as well. But Jeremiah said, look, God's just not my satisfier he's my sustainer listen to isaiah 28 verse 16 therefore thus says the lord god behold i am the one who has laid the foundations in zion a stone a tested stone a precious stone of sure foundation whoever believes will not be in haste that's where romans 10 9 really draws its its theological base off of you see the God of the Old Testament is the same God of, in the New Testament. The God in the New Testament is the same God in the Old Testament. And you know what that means? That the same God who was faithful to Jeremiah, the same God that was faithful to Paul, is faithful to you and me. He's still the same God. He's not changed, not one scintillal, not, a scintillal, not, not, not one little bit. He is still the same faithful steadfast, merciful, loving, kind, gentle God who cares for us. And finally, Jeremiah is saying, He is the Lord who is my Savior. Our hope is in the Lord. He is my hope. I said it to you earlier. We asked the question, what is this world coming to? But that isn't the question, is it? question who's coming to this world who's riding to the rescue the answer is Jesus Jesus is the answer to the needs of life I don't know what needs that you have and I don't know what discouragement you may be under but I can tell you the number one thing that you need is Jesus I pray today that first of all you're a Christian that you are a child of God there is no better thing than you can do than to give your heart to Jesus how do you do that well you admit that you're a sinner you admit what the Bible says to be true about us and folks I'm not telling you to do anything more than I've done Am I a sinner? Yes. Do I blow it? Yes. Have I made my mistakes and, and, and come short of the glory of God? Absolutely. You see, Satan says, oh, you can live your own way. You can do your own thing. You can be your own God. That's not true, is it? You know, I don't even really need the Bible to tell me I'm a sinner. I know in my own heart that I'm not perfect. I know my own thoughts. Even if I'd never picked up the Bible, I can tell you, I know I'm not a perfect guy. That tells me I'm in need. But when I do pick up the Bible, I find not only am I imperfect, I find that there is a perfect and holy God. So I, I admit I'm a sinner, but then I believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. That he, he was unlike any other man ever born. 
He was God in flesh that came and walked among us. The Bible says he spoke like no one ever spoke. He lived like no one ever lived. And you know, at Jesus' trial, at, 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 at Jesus' uh, uh, passion, when he was put through the test, no one could even find a fault in his life. I mean, even his enemies couldn't speak against him. They, they, they couldn't really come up with something he had, he had done wrong. I don't know about you, but that, that, wouldn't, that really wouldn't be a hard thing probably for somebody to, uh, to level against me. I mean, you know, someone who would hate me wouldn't probably have to go very far to find at least some charge against me. But with Jesus, they could find none. Because you see, he is holy God. So we believe that Jesus is God. He is God's son. And then finally we confess with our heart and with our mouth. That is our mind, our thinking that, that Jesus died for us and that he was buried and rose again that he could save us. And we make that confession of faith. We say, Jesus, I put my faith and I put my trust in you. If you do those things, dear friend, if you do those things in prayer, you become a child of God. Immediately, God becomes your heavenly father to care for you in an ever more caring way. But I'll tell you something else. Even if you reject God, even if you put him off as, well, Dawkins did, Tomorrow when the sun arises, the mercies of God are still going to fall on you. You'll still enjoy the sun rays as they shine down. You'll still enjoy the air that, that you breathe. You'll still enjoy the fruits of this earth. God's graces and mercies will still be there for you. Not because you deserve it, but because of who he is. He is a steadfast God who loves you. And he will woo you and he will call you until the end. And if you choose to go out of this world and into the next world, separated from God, then God says, okay, you have the right to do that. But one day when you stand before me, God says, you will not be able to say, I didn't care. I didn't love you. God will say, I loved you. I loved you with every heartbeat of your life and every breath that you drew. I loved you. And I was steadfast in that love. If you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, come to him today. You don't want to meet God not being his child. Friend, if, if you're living and you're not his child, you're cheating yourself and you're robbing God. Heavenly Father, this morning, maybe there's someone there that needs to make a decision. And Lord, they can just pray that little sinner's prayer that we, we teach at Bible school, the ABCs of salvation. Admit that we're a sinner. Believe Jesus, you are God's son. And confess and repent of our sins. And trust you in our faith to save us. Lord, maybe there's a child of God this morning. 
that says, well, I know I'm saved, but I've, I, I have been guilty of trying to do a set-it-and-forget-it relationship with God. I, I, I walked the aisle. I made a pledge. I, I gave my heart to Christ, but I've gone back into the world to live my own way according to my own wishes. And with each sunrise, Lord, I realize that I need to wake up in the morning and come back to you and say, God, what today are your mercies and your grace gifts to me for, the, for today's struggles and today's trials? It could be, Lord, that you have written across our life big, bold letters of love that, that spell pain or hurt because God you knew that was the only tool in your toolbox that could draw us back to you. It was for the Hebrew children. They had to be put on their knees. They had to be humbled, Lord, to realize that they were always to be dependent upon you. They had forgotten that. Jeremiah, the prophet, had preached and told them to repent, but they had forgotten they had said it and forgot it. And Lord, in that trial, you reminded them, not of your wrath and anger, but of your love, that they needed you because you are the steadfast, loving God of heaven and earth. And today, God, we look to you and we thank you for loving us and being steadfast in your mercy and your love. We lift this prayer today, Jesus, in your blessed holy name. Amen.